Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play, Disney at Work podcast. With Disneyland's kickoff of the 100 Years of Wonder celebration of the Walt Disney Company this very weekend, we have the opportunity to pause for just a moment to see if events that have unfolded over a century's worth of time aren't happening again in some form or another. We look at three such issues, which focuses on competition, cast member buy-in, and wolves on Wall Street. We'll also look at how Disney needs to not only grasp its heritage and learn from it, because otherwise it will spend the next 100 years simply repeating it. There are so many wonderful things ahead for the Walt Disney Company, but it must not allow itself to keep making the same mistakes. So today we talk about 100 years, new chapters or old problems. Make sure you check out disneyatplay.com where we will have um, links and some important graphics that will uh, cover what we're talking about as we go through this. If you have a chance, please subscribe uh, to this podcast if you haven't already so you're notified. Also, subscribing to disneyatplay.com gives you notices when we have new podcasts that come out. So make sure you take advantage of that. By the way, as a as a notation, because this is the 20th anniversary of Performance Journeys, my company, which is actually the sponsor of this podcast, um, I don't have other sponsors and I don't do a big commercial plug on it, but it is the thing that pays the bills for this podcast. And as such, I wanted to share with you some of my own history and how I ended up doing what I do for a living, which is sharing these great Disney experiences and best in business practices with so many other organizations in the public, private, nonprofit sector. As a result, check out my podcast. I'm going to kind of go back and forth over those over the next couple of next week or so and intersperse them with podcasts like this which gives us an update of some things that are happening and things have happened in one of our last previous podcasts we talked about some important announcements that came out about walt disney world and disneyland well there were some other things that came out in the wake of that and it begins with competition in fact you know that's been the story of disney since the beginning when Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was taken away from Walt and uh, ultimately handed over to Universal. It um, has always been kind of this thing between Disney and Universal. Not that Disney has always said that Universal is the big competition in town. I remember when working at Disney, we were going through a leadership program and Judson Green, who was head of all um, Disney resort operations worldwide, did a video. I think he was even on a set of train tracks, but he was basically saying, you know what? You need to kind of listen to what's going on and coming down the track to us. At that time, the issue, he said, wasn't so much competition in the local areas, such as SeaWorld or Universal. He was saying there were bigger competition forces out there, such as Las Vegas or new cruise line development 
or even, and this was more the 90s, Bronson, Missouri. It doesn't seem like they're quite the competition these days, but they do a job, they do what they do regionally, and they attract a lot of people. There's a lot of ways to spend your recreational dollar. And that has certainly been the case for Disney for many, many, many years. And so in essence, there has always been competition. And yet somehow it feels like Universal is emerging more as a competitor than ever before. It seems to want to hit both not only big home runs, but some big single hits. You're all probably familiar with Epic Universe, which is slated to open in a couple of years. This third theme park for Universal, they'll say it's their fourth because they add their water park in as part of the total number, but this this park is a little interesting because it's very adjacent to the um, Orlando Convention Center and is expected to bring in a lot of people, especially in the evenings, who want to come in and have their own kind of event. Now, Disney's not new to convention traffic. That's why when you leave Epcot on the back of the International Gateway, you got, you got convention rooms at the Yacht and Beach Club, you got convention rooms at the Swan and Dolphin, you got even convention rooms at the Boardwalk. And... At the Magic Kingdom, you exit there and you have convention rooms at the Contemporary on one side and convention rooms even on the other side at the Grand Floridian. Disney knows the convention business. Disney knows the power of bringing in business even after hours, but even uh, before or after a convention. And they have been competing with not just... Um, a Universal, which is coming in with another theme park, but even with the Orlando Convention Center for some significant time now. There's a lot of competition here, and Epic Universe brings that in. But there were new announcements that came in. One was a family-friendly park being built in Frisco, Texas. Frisco is kind of a suburb on the north side of Dallas. I used to live in Plano, Texas, so I'm, I'm not a stranger to Frisco. Um, one has seen the images of this park and it's kind of cute. It's got different um, themes to it, such um, as um, a kind of a Jurassic camp um, and um, other DreamWorks kinds of offerings in it. Um, it's an interesting notion to build. Disney has been in the regional, has tried out, let me put it that way, has been trying the regional entertainment business for many years, and especially during the 90s, when they tried to create um, family play areas that you could go to, um, and um, when they tried to take um, the ESPN name and create a food and beverage offerings off of it, and then especially Disney Quest was a big effort in this. Now, I've talked about Disney Quest. I was intimately familiar. I was the first one who tried to create business team building events in um, Epic uh, in um, Disney Quest. And I even tried to take that concept to its first off-property site, which was Chicago. 
But let me tell you, while Chicago opened to huge attendance the first summer, that, that Disney quest you could shoot a cannon through after September 1st and not hit anyone because kids were in school. Now, this family-friendly park looks like it appeals almost to toddlers more than it appeals to, say, um, preteens or to a teenage audience. But notwithstanding, one has to scratch her head just a little bit and say, are you really going to succeed with this kind of family-friendly park? Especially when I see a hotel built at the entrance of it. Oh, I can see that hotel easily sold out every weekend, Friday, Saturday, even maybe Sunday night. But the rest of the week, I'm not so sure that people from Waco or people from Houston are going to come midweek to this event when they got their kids in school. And so I just wonder how successful that business model is really going to be. Not that I don't think there shouldn't be more um, theme park enterprises. SeaWorld uh, took a major risk down in San Antonio, but it never really has six, had successful attendance. It was a lovely park on many levels, but it was never a, has never been a successful park during the off-season. And there's just too much off-season to be had in those areas of the world. Notwithstanding, here's Universal trying to hit some single hits. And to add to that, they then announced what would be a Las Vegas year-round Horror Nights experience. Now this one, I gotta say, I think it's a pretty brilliant idea. I think it's brilliant because what the idea is, is here's a space that looks like it's going to be about the size of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And it's going to have about four of those little spaces where you go through and you um, have some kind of horror night experience. And then there'll be some food and beverage and retail kinds of things added on, a little bit of theming to tie it to. I think, I think that's a really great idea because Universal spends a lot of money to build out some really cool um, horror night experiences and I think these could go into some big box um, buildings and and continually rotate and continually attract people to coming to um, to do that in Las Vegas at night. I it's definitely a place I would check out and I don't check out or nights in Universal but I'd rather check that out than a casino and see how it works. So I think that's a smarter idea. And then there is, of course, Super Nintendo World. That was announced back, way back. Um, but it's opening at Universal Hollywood. It's in, I think, around February 17th or maybe sooner that it's opening. It's why Disneyland is kicking off its 100 years of wonder celebration tomorrow, which will include Mickey and Minnie's, um, uh, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway which is in Toontown, which will not be done because they, they are behind on Toontown. They'll open the Toontown part in March, but rather than waiting till March, when after they're in the shadow of Super Nintendo World, they're trying to get ahead of it. And so they're going to launch just the ride and they're going to launch the new fireworks show and the new um, World of Color show. We'll talk about that a little bit later. 
Um, in fact, I'm very excited to go there. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious about Universal. It's been a while since I've seen Universal. I grew up with it, but it's been decades since I've been there. The Super Nintendo World. I'm not a Nintendo fan, but I'm curious at um, at what, uh, what this might look like. And uh, my next trip may include Universal as well as Disneyland. And that's the very thing that Disney is or ought to be concerned about. Now, please understand, when you look at Disney's numbers globally compared to Universal's numbers globally back in 2019, before before the pandemic, Disney was doing 155 million um, a year in attendance as opposed to 51 million at the Universal Parks. And in fact, in this year, you you know, Magic Kingdom is still number one at um, 12, well, almost 12, uh, more than 12 and a half million for attendance in 2021. Well, you go look at Universal Studios Florida, their attendance was a little under 9 million. That's, that's three and a half million underneath. And Islands of Adventure, well, actually, they were just a little bit above $9 million, but still $3.5 million away from Disney's number. But if you kind of look at what their numbers were between 19 and 21, that's where things get a little interesting. For instance, back in, in 2019, before COVID, all got crazy. They did, each of them, well, Universal did a little better, almost 11 million, and Islands did a little bit more than 10 million. So those numbers have dropped. But now let's take a look at the Magic Kingdom. That 12 million they did in 21, they were doing tw over almost 21 million back in 2019. So don't, don't, don't complain that the parks are as busy as they used to be. Compared to, you know, that's a big, that's a big gap. And here's where it gets really surprising. Number two was Disneyland. In 2019, that was over 18.5 million. It's now 8.5 million for 21. Now, we don't have the 22 figures yet. It may be more encouraging. It may be closer to those 2019 numbers. But that 8.5 million is less then Universal Studios Florida and Universal's Islands of Adventure. Now, mind you, I think they were still dealing in 21 in the beginning months with even opening up the park. But do you see the pro do you see the things? You just start to feel like, like things are catching up. And in fact, both of those parks in 21, Universal F Studios Florida and Universal's Islands of Adventure, they both, uh, they both exceeded. Um, Disney's Hollywood Studios, which had, and they exceeded um, Epcot, and they exceeded Animal Kingdom in terms of attendance. One of the reasons why I'd be questioning that reservation system. But notwithstanding, uh, these are the kinds of numbers they've been. And by the way, in 21, Disney California Adventure had was under 5 million. So these are very very concerning numbers that show massive striking increases or at least increases at numbers that 
are on par to pre-COVID at Universal, while Disney Walt Disney World is far under par as to what uh, they once were. Again, issues to be very concerned about as we kind of <clears throat> take a look at these attendances. That's why I'm a little concerned that Disney's not paying attention. And by the way, at the same time, Josh Tomorrow interviewed with a number of people and he he really said all the nice things you could say. They weren't bad things. We're looking at blues. You know, he, he defended a little bit of the blue sky presentation made at D20. But you know what? This does not look aggressive. This does not look like you are out of the gate and you are you are serious about staying the champion. That's that's my flag. It is just a flag because it's really nice rhetoric, but it doesn't say you are out to make a difference. And Disney, who has been serious about its competition since well into the 90s, looks very passive in all of this. Yeah, mind you, they're going to open up Tron. Tron will do miracles. I think Guardians will have done great things for Epcot for last year and going into this year. But still, I'm just scratching my head and saying, where is, you know, what they're doing at Disneyland with... Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is not in competition with what's going to happen with Super Nintendo. And those that's where the talk is going to be all year, is in those places. So again, very, very big concern. Be interesting to, to see. You know, I, anyway, I, I won't go any further on that. Let me go to the next issue. The issue is one of cast member buy-in. Oh, you know... Walt, even Walt, had issues with unions and workers who didn't like what was going on. The strike of 1941 is legendary. There, I just, I got that book over, over uh, Christmas, and, um, and there's just been this struggle. Now, let's take ourselves prior to COVID. If you recall, back in 2018, with Lots of discussion about how wages were not reasonable, particularly in the service caller industry. Disney kind of paved the way for creating a $15 wage proposal. It was going to be in 2018. The $10 minimum was going to go to 11 uh, uh, Or actually, it, it was going to be... Um, um, yeah, it was going to be increased to $11 by December. It was going to go to $13 in 2019. It was going to $14 in 2020. And then finally $15 in in 21. I think it was a little delayed getting there. I don't think it arrived on 21. I think it came later. But notwithstanding, they announced that we were going to raise uh, wages, which was a, a positive and... Um, a, le a leading kind of thing to say you're attentive to your frontline workers. At the same time, Disney created the Aspire program. The Aspire program allows you to have free tuition, even books, I think, to getting a higher education. It works with a number of higher ed institutions. And if you're working 
If you meet qualifications for working, Disney will pay for you to go to college. This is huge. This is a big opportunity. And it takes people out of that front line, service color wage, and to something far better. So Disney created that prior to COVID. And then um, Disney finally announced, and this, I, this was after COVID, but... Um, well, actually, it started work on it. They, first of all, created new apartments for the Disney College program interns and so forth. But then they announced that they were going to build 1,300 new affordable apartments out in the Flamingo crossing areas, which, crossings area, which is sort of west of uh, Coronado Springs and Disney's Animal Kingdom. Just keep driving that distance. and uh, But very close to Disney. And those are very positive things. Now, by the way, Disney um, has actually championed new apartments way back. My friend Judy went um, to one in Kissimmee, um, in the greater Kissimmee area, not far from my church, um, and opened that way back in the 90s. So this is not a new thing to kind of help um, give workers uh, more affordable places to live. However, now we're in our current situation. That current situation is uh, some, well, what has happened in COVID is when people had a choice of where they wanted to work, they decided, I'm not going to stay up north in the cold. I'm going to come down to Orlando. I'm going to stay and live near Walt Disney World. Not all of them got annual passes in a, in 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 the time frame they needed to, but we have had this huge influx of people who have come down to the central Florida area. And the result has been that prices for apartments has gone up in an incredible way. In fact, there was an article, um, I can't remember, was it New York Times? I can't remember who had it, but it listed Orlando as being the third most expensive place to rent um, in the country, which is just, was totally unheard of, even five, seven years ago. And so now, and of course, general prices, whether it's eggs or milk or, you know, the gas and all those kinds of things have gone up. And so these wage increases don't look as impressive as they did when, you know, Disney was heralded for creating this $15 wage. Uh, unions are now balking at what is a proposed uh, one hourly wage hike moving forward. Um, and and there's other forms of discontent. The Reedy Creek firefighters came through their union said, we'd rather work for Rick DeSantis rather than for the Reedy Creek Improvement District. And it basically said, you know, they take better care of their firefighters. Well, that's a very different story than what was told 10 years ago when working for Reedy Creek Fire, firefighting or for, for, their, uh, for their teams was probably one of the most sought after places for firefighters. And now there's this different sentiment going on. At the same time, there was this big thing during Chapik's experience that Imagineers didn't want to transfer out to Lake Nona. If, now, here's the truth. Part of what has created uh, this growth is that Disney hasn't just been moving Imagineers. Disney has been moving a lot of its operational base, most of its financial tax divisions, those kinds of 
um, non-creative areas of their workforce have been moving out to Orlando for some time. And then they chose to move them off of the Glendale campus in California and move them out to a new campus to be built in Lake Nonos. Have a picture of that campus. In fact, um, announcements were made about that campus because there was um, uh, and and by the way, articles came out just the last week or so saying this whole thing is moving forward. It's a campus has buildings facing a sort of central park, a lot of pedestrian walkways. They bought the property in Lake Nona for about forty six point four million. It's about fifty eight acres. It's eventually going to be a home base for about 2,000 high-wage employees in the Imagineering and Theme Parks Division. Um, their original intention was to get everybody out here by 2022. That didn't happen. Um, they weren't even building. Of course, building costs have gone up and building has slowed down because there's so much, um, so much demand for building. Um, but um, it's this complex has six office buildings, two flex buildings, three parking garages, central plant, all that kind of craziness. And um, it's right kind of out in the middle of, uh, or just adjacent to the medical city that's out there in Lake Nona. But long and short of all this is um, a, a lot of workers don't want to move from California. And that along with the other issues, you've got now a workforce that um, that uh, is kind of saying, you know, we just don't like how things are. And there are some legitimate reasons. I can appreciate an Imagineer who doesn't want to move from their family out in California and, and move out. I know what it like means to move out for a job away from your family. My family was in Arizona and we made a hard decision to move out to the other side of the country, not because of Disney, but because of finding a job, just trying to find work in my particular field and labor. It eventually led out to where we are today. I'm grateful for where I live, but it, it, there came a cost. We moved away from our family. So I appreciate that. I also appreciate the fact that there is a lot of homeless now. Um, there's some really bad um, press out there as to what that looks like. Um, one um, one individual has gone to TikTok saying that um, 10% of the survey was taken and 10% of the Magic Kingdom um, is, um, is homeless. Actually, what that was, was a 2018 uh, survey taken out of Disneyland, but they kept referencing Disneyland as Magic Kingdom. Um, and the homeless issue, don't miss it. The homeless issue is more than ever here in Orlando, as it has been in a major way out in California. But it is it is very much here in Orlando. I'm very concerned about it. I um, have worked to help create experiences to improve that but um it's a challenge it's a challenge and what i guess where i'm going with this is and by and by the way now bob Iger has asked people to return to office four days a week and i can imagine what probably happened to create for this 
he probably came back after having been gone. He probably came back. He said, "Okay, time to meet with all the teams. Let's go. Oh, what's our first meeting? All right, we got the we got these ten people we're meeting with, or five people. Uh, one's here. Oh, the other four is, you know, on the on on Zoom. I bet it was really frustrating for him to come back into the Team Disney building at Burbank, only to find out that it was pretty quiet in Burbank. I know that I've been out to the Team Disney building in here in Orlando." And it's embarrassing how few cars there are in, in the parking lot. Um, and Disney's not the only one talking about this problem. Um, Apple has talked about this um, and has shared the sentiment. I think he said, um, um, what was his that that really you needed spontaneous interactions and they weren't happening with everybody being at home. Um, so that was one of the things that we noticed. Salesforce also talked about this. And are we not building tribal knowledge with new employees without an office culture? You know, that there's some really great questions that are being asked. Now, I'm, a, I'm in favor of working virtually. And by the way, I do that myself, but it's my own company. So... I guess I do work from the office, but but my office is at home. But but the but the point of all this is, I here's well, let me just add a little bit of more context to this. Since the beginning of the year, Salesforce, which was quote is wanting to get people back into the office, Salesforce has laid off about eight thousand or about ten percent of its workforce. IBM has cut out about 3,900 jobs. Google has laid off about 12,000. Amazon has laid off 18,000 in January, and that's on top of what I believe was 10,000 in November. What Disney has not done is laid people off. But what I think Disney is doing is they're saying, look, we're expecting you to return to the office four days a week. I would have been thrilled, by the way, 20 years ago to have had my Fridays at home at least. But notwithstanding, they're saying, hey, we want you to return to office four days a week. And some of you, we want you to transfer eventually to like, no, no, I think the time frame is more reasonable than it was under JPEG. I think those are reasonable expectations to make. There's certainly a lot better kinds of uh, announcements than to saying we're laying off a whole bunch of people and if things don't improve that may be the next thing i think it's the last thing disney wants to do but right now disney's also experiencing wolves on wall street if you recall sleepy little disney who was the last the the smallest of all the movie studios in hollywood uh was nearly killed off by wolves on wall street back in 1984 when they came in they wanted to buy it up they wanted to rip it apart sell it in pieces and make money and move on it was a short-term plan to make a lot of money for a few people disney fought it they brought on michael eisner they brought on frank wells they changed the nature of the company that what that that last place movie studio is now the number one movie studio in the world. By the way, it's the only movie studio actually still in Hollywood. All that's headquartered in Hollywood. All the other headquarters are elsewhere. Um, but there are people coming on board to and, and coming forward and saying, hey, uh, things aren't quite right. Back 
and Wall Street did a piece um, where um, Nelson Peltz met with Bob Chapek back in Disneyland Paris last July. Um, he he, um, um, he um, was seeking um, a board seat during that time um, and and um, and Disney had just renewed Bob Chapek's uh, contract for three more years um, and so he was trying to to make some noise at that point another activist in, um, in August disclosed the stake in Disney and proposed spinning off of ESPN and buying the Comcast stake in Hulu and in November, uh, Peltz again called Chapek to discuss, to have formal discussions uh, between the two companies. They met on the 12th, on the 20th, Disney fired Chapek, put in Bob Iger. By that point, Trion, the organization under um, Nelson Peltz, had already bought up $800 million worth of Disney shares. Uh, they all met later that month. Peltz made a pitch to join the board. In early December, Peltz informed Disney of his intention to nominate himself to the board and push for a meeting. Um, but Iger told him he'd have to wait until he returned from, apparently from yachting off, to, off the coast of New Zealand. It was probably a trip planned in advance before he was made CEO. I get that kind of. Earlier in, um, uh, uh, let's see, Earlier in the week, this was published in January of, on January 12th, Disney and Trion met for, met for 45 minutes. Peltz noted a number of things that were wrong. Um, Disney offered to make Peltz a board observer, but not a full director, and asked him to stop publicly, fighting publicly. The activists de declined. Within days, Disney announced Mr. Peltz's intention and Trion went public with his campaign. His campaign, which is called Restore the Magic, boy, it sounds like something Roy E. Disney would have done, and it's basically making a case for change at Disney, that, that return to shareholder value has underperformed in the S&P 500. Um, not the S&P 100, the S&P 500, very interesting. Um, it, it identified that there was poor corporate governance, which is a fair thing to say because we've moved back and forth on CEOs and not a good succession plan, poor strategy and operations, especially, um, with the parks having to subsidize streaming losses and poor capital al allocation. And that's, uh, that's an arrow pointed back at Iger with the purchase of Fox, which was just for 80 plus billion dollars or whatever. So they're proposing to fix corporate governance, fix strategy and operations, fix capital allocation. They want, they're not looking, they're saying that they're not looking to replace Bob Iger. They're not advocating for a breakup of Disney like the earlier Wolves. Um, they are not seeking to cut costs. They're not advocating for aggressive price increases. They're giving all the right verbiage in, in some regards, they do want to reinstate the dividend by 2025. I'm not sure about the dividend because it dividends are usually targeted toward short-term 
people, and I think people who invest in Disney should be long-term shareholders. Um, and you are successful as a long-term shareholders. Um, I think, you know, here's the deal is they're able to say, we need more accountability. We need more transparency and Disney, you're not providing it. And in fact, they got a point there. Um, they got a point there. Uh, meanwhile, Disney is named Mark Parker as the new chairman of the company, which is a positive move. I think Disney will fight off what Trion's doing, but it needs to pay attention. And, and by the way, I can't blame Bob Iger for having this on one side of him and then walking into a meeting and nobody's at the meeting except on Zoom. So I can appreciate the fact that he's wanting all hands on deck, uh, not just you know participating virtually from somewhere. So I can appreciate that. I can also appreciate the fact that with all this being in a rock and a hard place that Iger's in, he's doing pretty good not to create a layoff so far. So I really kind of feel like the company needs to get on board, get aggressive, and get things happening, get things working. In essence, I think Disney's biggest challenge is its sense of heritage. I want to return. I, I said this uh, in a previous podcast. I think Disney doesn't know its own institutional knowledge. It, it doesn't have a sense of its own heritage and history and what it's been through. And for Pete's sake, don't repeat the mistakes you made earlier. And, 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 and when I see things like, in, if you are familiar with the Disneyland, they have these banners all over at, um, announcing milestones in the company's history. Well, those milestones were incorrect from Snow White's year being incorrect to um, I think the year the Disney Cruise Line came out. There were just all these wrong dates on these banners. My goodness. Who's checking this? Usually, you have to go through account through through um through the attorneys just to get a banner looked at, and it should have gone through the archival archivist group. I I can't imagine. I can't understand in the least how you could have banners labeled incorrectly when when Enchantment came out as a fireworks and harmonious to a, to a degree as well. There was a lot of talk about why this is not a celebration of 50 years of Disney. This is just a bunch of Disney um, animated films all pulled together. Well, they kind of corrected that and put in this nice, I think a very nice introduction with Walt Disney. I still think the rest of the fireworks could have been done differently. But then one of the things that are coming out for Disneyland is World of Color 1, a new World of Color show. World of Color is beautiful and a new show is really needed. And it doesn't look bad as a show, but one, I think it was on Mice Chat, they did an re early review from it from last night when it was shown to some of the press. And they had this big thing with Walt Disney saying something at the beginning and then giving a quote at the end. All that's good. But then they show a montage of Disney films over the years, and it doesn't include, apparently, according to the reviewer, it does not include one work done by Walt Disney. Anything from Snow White to Fantasia, from Cinderella to Mary Poppins, none of that is shown. All you see are things from Pocahontas and Encanto and Coco, and all those things should be in there, but where is your heritage? Sometimes I just feel that Disney is tone deaf about its own heritage. 
and it needs it needs to pay attention to this and it needs to pay attention to its cast members it needs to pay attention to its guests it needs to pay attention to the competition down the street and if they pay attention to those three things by the way i don't think they have to worry about wall street wall street will take care of itself if you pay attention to your guests if you pay attention to your employees that's the message in here and my hope is as we go to the next hundred years that we are creating new chapters and not necessarily old problems well that does it for this disney at work and play podcast thank you for joining us Please consider the opportunity of being part of our Patreon group. This entitles you to some wonderful interactive tools that help you to celebrate Disney from Pirates of the Caribbean to Pandora World of Avatar. If you love, if I hope you've seen the new film. If you love that, you need to check out um, that for as little as a dollar um, a month. You can join and that gives you uh, access to that Pandora um, special trait. Then there are other things that come as you, as you join others. Plus some um, individual podcasts that we're going to hopefully do on a much more regular basis with our Patreon members. Thanks to those who have joined, and we invite others to join as well. Again, thanks for being part of this podcast. In the words of Sinbad Storybook Voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. <laughs>